Well, I'll tell you what, what a privilege and joy it is to be with you here this morning. I know some of y'all didn't know I was going to be here, so surprise, but uh, some of you did, and I appreciate uh, Many of y'all gave me such wonderful words of encouragement and words of advice. Uh, I did really, I can't thank you enough. A pastor who's getting ready to preach really wants that advice. I just want you to know that. In fact, one of you, uh, I'm not going to name any names, told me, Steve, when you preach, man, it's just real simple. Make it powerful. Make it short. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, my wife, she gives the best advice. You know, she's the, uh, my better half, and she's always encouraging to me, and, and she knows how concerned I get when I'm getting ready to pray. She says, Steve, look, don't go up there and try to be brilliant. <laughs> you know, don't go up there and try to be witty. Don't go there and try to be exciting. Just be yourself. So, uh, thankful for the advice. Um, I want to share some advice with you this morning also. This is one that I taught myself. In fact, if I leave the stage, I don't want any of you to get worried. I'm not a runaway pastor, but I've got these stomach issues. You know what I mean? And uh, here's the advice I give to you. Before you have a big presentation, do not eat non-fat Greek yogurt with live bacteria. Because <laughs> they really are alive. I mean, so... Uh, so just so you know that, in fact, you may be praying for God's grace on me because we are going to be talking about grace today. And uh, we're going to be talking about a king, Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was bad dude. Uh, he was evil. He was wicked. And all the list of kings that Rocky's preaching on and he set this thing, he gave me Manasseh, <laughs> the wickedest one. This guy was so bad that it literally... It, it almost strains the imagination to believe that someone could be this wicked. But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the wickedness because what is going to absolutely, I think, encourage and challenge us is, is how the grace of God, who I know that we all, we all appreciate it, how it appears when contrasted with the blackness and the darkness of that wickedness. You know, God's grace, when you really think about it, and we're going to be able to see it here, it is just ridiculous. I, I mean, you know yourself. I know me. I don't deserve it. I deserve something far worse, and yet God showed his grace to me and we're going to see his grace as it's shown to the wickedest king in Judah. And let me just a few things about Manasseh. He was king of Judah for 55 years, longest uh, ruling king in Judah. Uh, his dad was Hezekiah, very godly king. You need to know that. Very godly king. Manasseh was his son. And in fact, Assyria, who was the dominant world power at that time, had come against Judah during the time of Hezekiah. And Assyria, this dominant power, had already defeated Israel, and shipped all them people off. He had already defeated another power, Syria, whooped them, devastated them, tore them up, man. They were gone. And now this power came against Hezekiah, and Hezekiah trusted in God. God whooped up on Assyria. They left. Judah was still there. Manasseh becomes king. What does Manasseh do? Well, he becomes one of the most wicked kings, but one of the first things he does is gets a little treaty thing going with, guess who? Assyria. And in fact, 
He's supplying tribute. He's supplying people to help Assyria in their world conquest. And so that's who we're dealing with this morning. This is the one that God shows his grace to. Now, a little bit about grace. We all have a definition of grace, don't we? In fact, if I was to share some of the most popular ones, they'd click with you right now. For example, grace is God's unmerited favor. You've heard that, right? Everyone heard that one? Or the acronym, you've probably seen grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Everyone knows that, and they're good. They're, hey, they are absolutely spot on. The only thing that I want to add to them is that it's, it is God's riches at Christ's expense. It is God's unmerited favor, but it is directed towards people who in no way deserve it. Yet that grace comes to them. That's why I like B.B. Warfield's definition where uh, he says grace is free sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. That's Manasseh. That's you. You don't deserve it. But I also want to add another definition to this because I don't want us to think of grace as like, like substance, like, uh, like salt you put on eggs. You know, God's not over here throwing a little grace on you. You know, here are a little, few grace pellets to make your life better. Now, grace is a person. Uh, grace is a person showing love and kindness to people who don't deserve it. That's why Michael Horton, in his uh, book on theology, he writes this, and I really like this definition. He says, in grace, God gives nothing less, get this, than himself. That's grace. Grace, then, is not a third thing or a substance mediating between God and sinners, but is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. I want you to remember that. Grace is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. Grace is truly a person who is showing favor to those who don't deserve it, to those who are, as B.B. Warfield puts it, ill-deserving. Now, in the Bible, I, I just don't think you could find someone as more ill-deserving as Manasseh. He is an extreme example of ill-deserving. And I want to go through quickly, but I think we need to look at the, at the depth of his wickedness, at the totality of his depravity, because I believe that will give us even a better understanding of the absolute ridiculousness of God's grace. Well, it starts, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Let me just stop right there. Mistake number one, right? <laughs> yeah, I have seen some 12-year-olds that were king of their family. It is not a pretty picture. And this dude was in charge of a country. Now, he was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. And then we get into his actions, starting in 2 Chronicles 33.2. And listen to this. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. First of all, did you notice that? He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now, here's the thing. Is there's a part within us. I, I don't know how it's there within us, but there's a part within us that says, I'm getting away with this. <laughs> yeah, I cheated on my income tax and nobody caught me. You know? There's that type of thought that's within us. Oh, I told a lie, got away with it. And that thing is there. But here's the thing. Everything that you do, the evil that we do, the sin that we do, it is in God's sight. I remember 
counseling a couple. And this was, this was a couple that, whew, man, let me tell you, you don't want to be coming up to their front door when they were having one of those arguments. You know what I mean? They were like, and, uh, and so I finally told them, they said, you know, the thing was, I can't help it, you know, we're like this, we're like that, blah, 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 I get angry, I just, I just let it go, I just let it go. And, uh, and I said to them, well, what if I was standing there? Would you still let it go? And they said, no, 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 I wouldn't do it if you were there, I wouldn't want you to see me like that. I said, dude, God is there, man, he's seeing you like that. <laughs> see, we have this thought within us that we're getting away with it, that that God's not really seeing this. He's seeing it. Manasseh was doing this evil in God's sight. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil. Following the detestable, now here's the thing, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Manasseh, what was he doing? He was copying the world. You know, sometimes we think the world's got it all together. You know, we see the grandeur, we see the flashy stuff. We think, wow, wow, if I could be like that, if I could do that. Man, the world is empty. And he was copying the world, the Assyrians and the Canaanites. And it says he rebuilt the pagan shrines that his father, Hezekiah, had broken down. These, these pagan sites were like high places. They were like uh, where they worshipped idols. Uh, that they would make like a little thing there for, to, for worship. And, and, and some of the Israelites would actually worship Yahweh in these high places. They would worship God. But the fact is they were supposed to worship in the temple. That's why Hezekiah tore them down. And these things would be everywhere. They're like the, uh, the 7-Eleven of idolatry, you know. They're like you had your neighborhood idolatry place. And you could go there and do that. And so what Hezekiah did is said, let's put them all back. And so that's what he did, first thing. Then uh, we see that he constructed... Uh, altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. Now, you really don't get the substance of what that is just by reading it. You got to know a little bit about Baal and you got to know a little bit about Asherah. Now, Baal was the god that they would sacrifice to, the idol that they would sacrifice to, so they would get uh, wealthy. Uh, back then, you know, when you were talking about getting wealthy, that meant you had a bumper crop, right? So that would be like wealthy, okay? And so Baal would be the one that would, would be the one you'd go to for that. And you'd sacrifice to him, and then you'd be looking for that bumper crop. Now Asherah, the other idol, she was a, she was a goddess of, well, she was a goddess of sex and war. I don't know how they put those two together. There must be some wisdom in that. But in any case, she was the goddess of sex and war. And what they would do for her in her uh, worship and all that stuff is they would have, for example, these uh, temple prostitutes. And, well, say no more. So in any case, that was what they did with those gods. You had the god of wealth. How many people have sacrificed families and lives for money, for career, for sex? Really, this goes way back. And that was, that was their idols. And sometimes it can be idols in our lives as well. It also says he bowed before all the powers of heaven and worshipped them. You know, we're getting into astrology now. Uh, I never, I, well, first of all, I don't get the newspaper, but I don't read the astrological forecast. It's a bunch of bunk, but that's what he was doing. And uh, he built, now here's the thing, he built pagan altars, pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord had said, my name, only me. This is, this is my home. 
will remain in Jerusalem forever. And he built these altars for all the powers of the heaven in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. So you see the progression of the sin here too. Because first of all, they're out here in the neighborhood, the 7-Elevens of idolatry. Now they're actually in the temple courtyards. And there's two courtyards, the one for the priests, where only priests could go, and the one for the people. And he would put these altars in both of them. And so now they're actually where only Yahweh worship is supposed to happen, and they've got these pagan altars in there as well. Next thing is he says he sacrificed his own sons in the fire uh, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And I'm not, I don't want to go into the details there, but let me tell you, this, this place was so ugly, so tragic. You know, the, the, the Greek for Ben-Hinnom is the word Gehenna. Maybe you've heard that before. Jesus used that term Gehenna when describing hell to the people. This valley of Ben-Hinnom was pure hell. It's said that people did this uh, for divination reasons. Uh, they wanted to bind God's purposes. They wanted to know the future. And so he, Manasseh would do this so he would know what's coming up. So he would be okay. It was all selfish interest. They would sacrifice his own child for that. And in Second uh, Kings 21, it talks about Manasseh, and it, it says there that he filled Jerusalem with blood. People, listen to me, people were not people to him. They were resources. Man, and as long as you towed the line, you're okay. But don't get off that line. Because if you get off that line, you're going to die. I mean, when you're around me, buddy, you better be jam up and jelly tight. Because I am going to come down on you like a duck on a June bug, and it's not going to be pretty. And he filled Jerusalem with blood. Tradition says that he, he slaughtered slaughtered most of the prophets that were there in Jerusalem. In fact, tradition says he took the prophet Isaiah that we have the book about in the Bible, put him into a tree trunk, a hollow tree trunk, and sawed him in two. The wickedness of this man filled Jerusalem with blood, with his own children's blood. says he also practiced sorcery, divination, witchcraft, mediums, psychics. He did much that was evil on the Lord's side, accusing, arousing his anger. I mean, he was doing all the satanic, scary movie stuff that you see. I mean, this is talking to dead people. This is bringing up dead people. This is calling up evil spirits. That's what he was doing. And then it says... He took a carved owl, this unbelievable, incredible, took a carved idol he had made and set it up in God's temple. We're not even talking about the courtyards again. You notice the progression of sin, the 7-Elevens, the courtyards, now in the very temple of God himself. The very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored 
forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. Manasseh had done all these things because he, in his own mind, was the king. He was the man, and there is nobody who could stop him. People do what he tells them to do. He tells them to jump. They ask how high. And not only that, but it says in verse 9 that he led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel inherited the land. He had not only, he had not only become like the world, but he exceeded the world in wickedness. God's chosen people and led them to do this, slaughtering innocents all throughout Jerusalem, slaughtering children, setting up idols in the very temple of God. I do not know about you. But man, if I was God, the first time, the first time he took one of those children, whammo! There would have been a lightning bolt in his shorts so fast it would have made him spin. I just can't believe this man could be so wicked. But I tell you what shocks me even more. God could be so gracious. I'm going to cover with you just through this story six principles of grace from the life of Manasseh. Now remember when I say grace, what am I talking about? Jesus Christ in redeeming action. Because grace and love are not just words that we say to one another, but ultimately they are actions, things that we do. Grace is Jesus Christ and redeeming action. The first thing that we learn about grace, especially as it relates to Manasseh, is that grace restrains judgment on us. In my mind, God should have judged Manasseh. I mean, when he put the Idols up, oh, maybe a little grace there, I don't know. But man, put them in the courtyard and then with the children. But grace restrains judgment. He deserves it. But, but don't you believe, Manasseh? Don't you think that he deserved to die right away for what he did? He was ill-deserving of God's grace. But let me clue you in on something. So are you. Don't you think that you're any better than the worst sinner out there? Because your flesh, that sin nature, is just as depraved as Manasseh's is. Don't ever look at yourself in the mirror and say, God, you got lucky. You got me, man. No way. That sin nature in you is just as depraved. And the fact is, if you think anything different, that's pride. Because it is God's grace that saved you. You take yourself and you, put, you make yourself a street child on the streets of India and see how you don't change. The fact is, God's grace reaches the totally depraved, and that's Manasseh, and that's you. Because we all have our own idols, don't we? I mean, truthfully, when we talk about idols here, we got those idols in our heart, 
anything that you love more than God, anything that you give your time to you know, more than God, anything that you focus in on more than God. I mean, those are things that are idols in our life. And here's the thing. Our uh, autopilot, our autopilot in life is self. That's what it is. I, uh, I don't have my phone with me, but y'all have y'all's uh, cell phone. Y'all know, how many of y'all got that Waze app? Y'all use that Waze app? Here I am from just a few of y'all. W-A-Z-E. They appreciate me giving them that plug. But anyway, the Waze app is something where it gives you directions. And uh, the thing I like about it, it tells you what's coming up, you know? Like there's police ahead. I don't ever use that, but it's just good to know. <laughs> but, uh, but in any case, I got mindset to where I can put home, you know, or the church in there. And so that if I'm, you know, drop me anywhere in this country, just drop me, funk, all I got to do is hit home, directions to there. There's kind of like this Waze app in us. And you know what it's programmed for? Self. I mean, when something happens, for example, your boss gives you a, says, we're, we're going to do something new. We've got a big project. We're going to do this big project. What's the first thing you think? How does this affect me? Not, is this good for the company? No, how does this affect me? That's the first thing. Group shot, group photo, right? Take a picture of a bunch of people, and you're in there, and you look at the photo. Who do you look at first? <laughs> That's right, you. you. You are programmed to self. You don't care how everyone else looks at that moment. You want dude, I look good. Let me look at this. That's how we are, right? That's how we are. We're programmed to self. Self can be the worst idol. Self can be the worst idol. God needs to sit on the throne of your heart. And where's the temple today, by the way? Where is the temple of God? That's right, it's us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, Christ in redeeming action, therefore glorify God in your body. Let's not put idols in this temple. Let's let Jesus Christ sit on the throne of our heart and serve Him and only Him. The truth is God's grace restrains judgment, and we all need that. You look at John 3, 17, it says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Isn't that something? But that the world would be saved through him. Now, I want to make something very, very clear here. Grace restrains judgment. It does not stop judgment. Hear me. If you, if you right now do not know Christ as your Savior, you're thinking, well, grace is restraining judgment. It does not stop judgment. Judgment is coming. One day, there will be no grace, and there will be only judgment. In Hebrews, it says, it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And my encouragement to you is to turn to the Lord now and not wait till it's too late. The other thing we see is that grace pursues us. Again, this is crazy, ridiculous. I mean, we are enemies of God. Manasseh, we can see that clearly, but we're enemies of God. And Colossians is talking about the believers. There's a you who were one time alienated and enemies of God by your wicked works, yet now have he reconciled. God is pursuing you. Now, if you're lost, he is pursuing you so you can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and give your life to him. But some of you right now are in a bondage to sin. You're serving an idol 
I don't know what it is. You can name it. You can label it. But you're serving an idol. You're not free in Christ. You're miserable. Uh, your, your life looks like a roller coaster. You never get victory and you're living in the bondage of sin and his grace through all of that is pursuing you and it's just amazing that he does that of course that's always how it's been from the very beginning you remember Adam and Eve right they sinned what did they do they hid what did God do he pursued them he went after them he didn't say this is our normal meeting spot if you don't get here well tough he went after them Calling out, Adam, where are you? And Jesus does the same thing. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Wow, that's grace pursuing us. The fact that he's knocking at the door. You, the enemy, knocking, knocking, calling, calling. And all you've got to do to receive that grace is to open the door. Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that ridiculous? God demonstrates his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He pursues us. He pursues us through the word of God. Look at uh, 2 Chronicles 33, 10. It says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. And let me just say something about this. God has never opened part of the clouds or given me a word. He's never spoken to me ever like that but he's spoken to me through this through his word this is how he speaks to us but let me ask you do you spend any time in this listening to him hearing his word this is where his warnings his commandments and his promises are get into his word he was sending prophets to Manasseh to share the word with them but he didn't listen and then finally through circumstances now I want to say something just a quick note before I read this not all bad circumstances are the result of our sin. We know that. You know the book of Job. You know that. Sometimes bad things happen when we're right in the center of God's will. Right now there are Christians in North Korean labor camps and in the Middle East right now who are in prison, but yet they are right in the center of God's will. They are suffering, but it's not because of sin. But in this case we see that God is reaching, his grace is pursuing through these circumstances because he wants Manasseh, Manasseh, to come back to him. So it says, so the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and took Manasseh prisoner. And they put a ring through his nose and bound him in bronze chains and led him away to Babylon. Let me just say this about his sin and in fact our sin. Because this is one thing we need to understand. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man doeth that shall he also reap you are not going to get away with it ever now you can be forgiven of it you can turn to him and you can be forgiven that sin be cast as far as the east is from the west it can be cast into the sea of forgetfulness the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse from all sin but the fact is if you don't turn from it if you live in that sin you will it's a promise in the Word of God. You will reap what you sow. Right now, if you're constantly going back to that same sin over and over and over and over again, man, get free, dude. Get away from that. God is working through circumstances to bring you back. And that's what he did with, with Manasseh. And did you notice 
how the world turned on him. <laughs> the world that he was trying to copy. And what did they do? Did you catch that? They put a ring in his nose. Did you catch That was not for decoration. Some of you may have rings in your noses right now. I don't know. Cool, you know. I'm not judging, all right? But they put a ring in his nose, and it wasn't for jewelry. No, what they would do is just like they do with animals. They put a rope on that, and they lead him away by a ring in the nose. And then the mocking. <laughs> king of Judah, right here. Come on, king, let's go. Oh, you don't want to come? Mm, there you go. How's that? That better? Yeah, that hurt, didn't it? Yeah, come on. Hey, Manasseh, watch this guy. Sit. Sit, Manasseh. Look at there. He obeys commands. Isn't that cool? Manasseh, you think you're a king? Is that what you think? You're a loser. You got nothing. You are a failure. Say something. Those are the words of the enemy. Those are the words of the world. And don't you believe them? Because they are not true if you are in Christ. But man, the world, that's how they treat each other. When they're through with you, they're done with you. The Bible says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what they wanted to do with Manasseh. To destroy him. And as they were using that to destroy him, God's grace was using that same situation to pursue him. And his grace is pursuing you. That grace leads us to repentance. Because God is saying, look, <laughs> that's the world. Have you really found fulfillment there? Honestly, have you really found purpose there? Have you really found hope there? How about you look to me, Manasseh? How about you look to the one whom your dad, Hezekiah, told you about, the godly king? How about you look to him? And that's kind of what happened we see here in 3312. But while in deep distress, Manasseh, what did he do? Sought the Lord, his God, and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. That God that his dad had told him about. He is brought to a point where he sees his own wickedness and pride. He is brought to the point where he sees the own fruitlessness of following the world and what it has to offer. And he remembers, like the prodigal son, remember that the pig slop? He remembers. Yahweh's love is everlasting. And in that dungeon, that cold, filthy dungeon where they put him he turns to Yahweh and surrenders and humbles himself to him in Romans it says this don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you does this mean nothing to you can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin but not only does it turn us but it forgives us his grace forgives us of all the wickedness and bad stuff that we have ever done. It says in verse 13, when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved. I love that. God, Yahweh, was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom, and then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone 
is God. Do you want God to move in your life? Is that something you want? Humble yourself and pray. Let me let you in on a little clue. You are not the man. You are not the woman. There is one God in this world. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not you. And we need to humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to him. And he will forgive us. You remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican, right? They both went on the rooftop to pray. The Pharisee was like, God, man, thank you that you did not make me a pagan. (laughs) Thank you that you did not make me a woman. Thank you that you did not make me like that dude over there, the publican. And Jesus said, the publican, so distraught, when he got to the rooftop, he could not even lift his eyes towards heaven. He could simply pray, forgive me, a sinner. Forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I want you to know one thing. It was the publican who went down justified. He was the one. Grace forgives us. And finally, in Romans 5.20, it says, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, they got better at it, they sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. I mean, what's incredible is that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Praise God. In fact, in Ephesians 1.7, it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I want you to understand something about grace. This is the part about that redeeming action of Jesus Christ. God just doesn't say, hey, you know, it's okay, it's cool, man, you're forgiven. No, he had to do something. Do you understand that? That's grace. Your sin had to be punished. Your wickedness had to be punished. And it was in Christ that it was punished. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Grace. Let me tell you, grace, what grace is. Grace is the Son of God, the one who loved you, the innocent, wonderful Son of God on a cruel cross, beaten, stabbed, nailed, blood running down the cross. That's grace. And you hold that up to the wickedness of Manasseh. You hold that up to your own wickedness and you see the grace displayed so powerfully. And it's that grace that we need that he offers. But not only does grace forgive us, but it sets us free. I mean, this is incredible. Not only was Manasseh set free spiritually, which we don't know how long he was in that dungeon. We just don't know when he turned to Yahweh. We just don't know. But I promise you this, he was there a year, he was free still. He was more free than his captors were. It says, when he prayed, the Lord listened to him, to Manasseh, and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. 
Then Manasseh finally realized the Lord alone is God. Manasseh was set free. Grace sets us free. Romans 5.21 talks about sin and how it rules over us. You ever been ruled by sin? It's not pleasant. It says in Romans 5.21, So just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Gives us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, here is the truth. Here is the truth. Romans 6, 14, sin is no longer your master. You do not have to obey it. You're free. You do not have to sin. You have been set free by the grace of God. Turn to Him. Surrender to Him. Give your life and everything that you are to Him, and He will set you free. My own testimony with my two parents, my two wonderful alcoholic parents who smoked and drank ever since I can remember time, got saved. And let me tell you something what God did. He set them free. <laughs> Not another drop of alcohol. I am telling you the truth. Not another cigarette, both at the same time. I'm not saying it was easy, but they gave their life to him. They meant it, and God set them free. And then finally, the last point about grace is that it empowers us. What happens when Manasseh gets back? <laughs> He's a changed man. Look at what happens. It says, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David. Uh, he's, he's, in other words, rebuilding Jerusalem. He built the wall very high, it says. He stationed the military officers all over the fortified towns of Judah. He's preparing. He's doing his job as a king, finally. Then, look at this. Manasseh removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple. Do you think God got a hold of his heart? How do you know he got a hold of his heart? You see the fruit of his life. No fruit, no changed life. Is there fruit in your life? He tore down the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in Jerusalem, and he dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. And get this, instead of misleading the people like it said in the earlier verse, he also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Oh, that's Manasseh, the wickedest king in Judah. No longer was he the man, but he understood this, that God is the one who rules and reigns. That's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 20, 12, I'm sorry, 12, 9. He says, each time, this is God speaking to Paul. You know, he wanted that thorn out of his side. And each time, God said, my grace is all you need, Paul. My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. The power of Christ can work through me. See, the power of Yahweh, the power of Yahweh was working through Manasseh. He had surrendered to him. In fact, Paul talking about how hard he works. Listen to whom he gives credit. Listen to whom he, he says is the source of this hard work that he does in getting the gospel out. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says this, but whatever I am now, it is all because God 
poured out his special favor on me. And not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. But get this, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Grace empowers you. When you start and begin to live your life relying upon the grace of God instead of the power of your flesh, it changes things. Now it's God who's working. It's not your abilities, it's his ability. And what a difference that makes. What an incredible difference that makes. I just want to ask you one question before we close. Because I don't know where each of you are. I don't know where you are in relation to God's grace. But is God's grace, like it was here in Manasseh, is God's grace working in you? Or is God's grace working on you? You know the answer to that. Some of you right now may be, you know, you may be running. Oh, you're a believer, but you know you're not serving him. You know you're just kind of you know, doing the religious to-do list and you know, Monday through Saturday looks totally different than Sunday morning for you. And, and honestly, you, you struggle day in and day out with the, the idols of self and sin that you're following. And grace is working on you. Working on you to show that those things that are taking your heart captive, things that are not of God, those things are empty. Listen to me. They'll never, never satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. They never will. They won't. They can't. Sure, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it goes away quickly. And God's grace is pursuing you. I believe, I believe God's grace is pursuing you right now. In a minute, we're going to open up the altar here. It's the time you could move God. It's the time you could move God. You could come up here, humble yourself, and pray. Say, God, forgive me. I know I'm your child. I've blown it. I've been going the wrong. Forgive me. Set me free. And he will hear that prayer. I know in just a group this size, there are several of you who right now, you just don't know. <laughs> You've never really experienced God's grace. Uh, the Bible says that when you're in Christ, when you're saved, you're a new creation. You know? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's never happened in your life. Now, Jesus called it being born again. But maybe you're here right now because God's grace is pursuing you. Maybe you didn't even mean to be here. Maybe it was an invitation. Who knows what? <laughs> but you're here. And you know God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He says, man, I'm pursuing you. I'm knocking. <laughs> I'm calling. Open the door. Open the door and let me have control of your life. Well, man, if that's you, if that's you, this is your moment right now.
to humble yourself and pray to God. So this is what I want you to do. Every eye closed, every head bowed, every single one. I want to know anyone looking around. Right now, you're saying, I, I've never experienced God's grace, but I want to. I've never been a new creation in Christ, but I want to. I'm tired of living a life, just living it for me. I'm tired of living a life that's miserable. I want to live with hope and purpose in Christ. I want to be saved from my own selfishness. If that's you, then I want you to pray right now with me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. I believe this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. But he rose again the third day and I believe that and I trust it. And at this very moment, this morning right here, I humble myself. I turn away from my sins and all my idols and I turn completely Jesus Christ. Lord, the best way I know how, I open the door and I want you to come in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.